Just liberty.org. It's good for you and it's good for me. Just liberty.org. Just liberty.org. Hi, this is Amanda Marzullo. The Blanco, Texas Police Department recently issued a Facebook post asking criminals to please refrain from crime until the temperatures go down. Scott, what do you think of this? I'm trying to do my part, man. My my own (laughs) criminal activity declined significantly in the summertime heat, probably 80% or so, I'd say. Uh, For for one thing, it's harder to drive a getaway car with potholders on your hands. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, it's rough. It's rough. But people people say we don't have seasons in Texas, but we really do. And those seasons are tolerable, hot, really hot. And oh my God, you've got to be fucking kidding me. <laughs> Except they're not. Which is where we are right now. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's this moment. Yes, it is. It is bad. Hello, boys and girls, and welcome to the August 2019 episode of Just Liberty's Reasonably Suspicious Podcast covering Texas criminal justice, politics, and policy. As always, I'm here today with our good friend Amanda Marzullo, who's Executive Director of the Texas Defender Service. How are you doing today, Mandy? I'm wonderful. How are you? Really well. And we've got a fine show today featuring Texas Monthly's Michael Hall discussing Texas' latest high-profile exoneration, this time spearheaded by an investigative podcast. Mike is also a well-known professional guitarist in Austin and stuck around to record a segment ranking the best American prison songs. Mandy, what are you looking forward to talking about on the podcast today? Well, I'm not looking forward to talking this time around. I'm looking forward to listening to your conversation with Michael Hall about the best American prison songs. Me too. I've really been enjoying all the prep for that, so I can't wait for that part. First up, in our top story, more Texas district attorneys have announced they won't prosecute marijuana cases after the legislature changed the law to legalize hemp with low THC levels. Now, prosecutors must prove someone could actually get high on a substance before they can be prosecuted for possessing it. But Texas crime labs still don't have a way to test marijuana for its THC content, a fact a legislative committee was told before the law passed, and equipment to do so cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. So prosecutors are caught in the lurch. That's why in Tarrant, Dallas, Bear, Williamson, Fort Bend, and Nueces counties, district attorneys have decided to dismiss pot cases for the time being. Texas DPS will now issue tickets instead of arresting people, but Harris County will continue to send people caught with marijuana through a pretrial diversion program, and some counties like Lubbock and El Paso have announced they will continue business as usual. The media hasn't covered what most of Texas' 254 counties are doing, so there's still a lot of unknown here. Mandy, now that we've seen counties taking all these various approaches, what's your opinion about this mess, and what does it say to you about both the drug war and Texas legislative process. I think that the first thing that comes to mind with all of this is how important the legislative fact-finding process is, and that in this case, because it was in the agricultural, the agriculture committee, which that's right, agriculture, the agriculture committee, you had a lot of criminal justice stakeholders not showing up to the hearings on this. Right, I certainly wasn't aware of this issue until it was already something that had happened. Yeah, no, and definitely. And so I think if the DAs from each of these jurisdictions had shown up at the hearing and said, this will be a problem, we won't be able to prosecute it, I I think that it would have probably caused more caution on the part of the lawmakers pushing this bill through. That's certainly true, although... 
I did go back and watch the part, the portion of that hearing where Brady Mills from the Department of Public Safety told them this was going to happen. I mean, maybe it was a little technical, but he did tell them. I mean, it really seemed to me once I heard what he said, gosh, surprising somebody didn't pick up on it. But I, you're right. Being in the agricultural committee, the stakeholders all being off somewhere else, that is what yeah. explains it. It emphasized to me how important those committee hearings are. That mm-hmm. Somebody really needs to be paying attention to what's said at those because that's where the problems with your legislation uh, crop yeah, up. Or, or, or and also issue expertise. That's right. But in a lot of ways, this bill, I think, went through the wrong committee. That, it went through the most politically expedient committee, but it didn't go through the committee where they know the stakeholders. Like you and I know Brady. We know that he doesn't come forward and raise issues unless they're real. He's not a demagogue. He's not saying it just to say it. If he says he's going to have a problem, it's going to be a problem. Yeah. Now, that's exactly right. And for me, it it, it emphasized how important that fact-finding process is. We're at a point in time when in the Senate, for example, the Senate Criminal Justice Committee has almost no fact-finding in its committee hearings any longer. Chairman Whitmire just actively dissuades people from testifying and doesn't want them to give testimony. And so things go through really with no expert analysis given to them at all. And here's an example where the expert analysis was given and they just weren't listening or no one had the the understanding of what they were hearing to latch on to it. And, and I really think it's the latter, right? Because part of the other problem that you deal with it, with the legislative process is that there are always going to be people who show up um, telling lawmakers that if they pass a particular bill, that the sky will fall. Right. And right. so, you know, if it was in this instance, it was just one person, even though he's someone who's very credible him alone in the wrong committee? Maybe that's not enough, right? Yeah. Well, the other thing that that I took away from this, and maybe this is because we mentioned all the heat uh, in the intro, and and I was on vacation recently in Canada to get away from said heat, and I have to admit I had not realized until we got up to Canada that they legalized marijuana last year nationally, Mm -hmm. and lo and behold, it's just a legal thing now. And... I went a couple of times into the dispensaries there in Montreal and Quebec City, and it really was remarkable. It was an incredibly bustling business, mm-hmm. frankly. People from every walk of life. It was grandma next to the biker, next to the Haitian day worker, next to the business person, you name it, you know, all there in line to get their smoke. You know, we were there for this circus festival in Montreal. Yeah. Well, there was less marijuana being smoked at that circus festival than any Auditorium Shores concert here in Austin. <laughs> not even close. Yeah, it's not the case that it just let some floodgates through and all of a sudden everyone's smoking out at the elementary school or something. Mm. I mean, maybe it's that Canadians can make anything boring. But boy, did they make that boring. They, they legalized <laughs> pot. And it's just something that everyone goes and gets and smokes, and it's not a big deal. And it makes you wonder, what are we doing? We're going to buy 30 of these half a million dollar machines so we can test whether the pot's at 0.3%. And Mm. does anyone really care that much? Honestly, the polling says no. And in Canada, when they just went ahead and legalized it, 
it's fine. <laughs> it's just fine. The Fort Worth Star-Telegram had an interesting article, uh, an editorial, where they said that this should be treated as a natural experiment, that the DA should just stop prosecuting, and we should just see whether, if, when you stop, when you decriminalize, does the sky fall? And it's not going to. Canada shows us that. Colorado shows us that. All these other states. Yeah. It's just okay. This is all much ado about nothing. I agree with that. Next up, Scott interviews Texas Monthly's Michael Hall about an amazing innocence case out of Smith County in East Texas. Ed Ace was falsely convicted of murder a quarter of a century ago, and it took a true crime podcaster crowdsourcing an investigation to get him out and prove his innocence. Let's hear Mike tell the story. All right, Mike, thank you for sitting down to talk to me about your latest and greatest Texas innocence story. Um, this is a, a story about Ed Eights from out of Smith County. Is that right? Yep. Tyler, Texas. Well, and, and I have to say, I really had to wonder as I read this, you know, having you partnered with Pam Koloff for so many years at, the, at Texas Monthly and, you know, is it really an innocence case if it has fewer than 22,000 words <laughs> in the story that tells it? I, I feel like you've short shrifted us here. I, that <laughs> I think this was only 9,000, right? Or 10,000. Exactly. So, yeah, so it's, it, 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 I feel like there's another 10 or 15 left before you've really had the story completely done. But, but hey, that <laughs> there's always a lot more than you think on the cutting room floor. But in an innocence case, that's especially true. No, I'm I'm sure it is. I'm I'm teasing. It's an excellent story, and everyone should check it out. So tell us about Ed Eights. It's an, another false conviction. I had a journalist tell me recently that she had trouble pitching false conviction stories because the public already knows how it ends. But this even has some twists and turns that are unusual for these innocence cases. So so what made you gravitate to this story? This story, it, it really is a great story about a guy wrongfully convicted. Ed Eights, who is, I think he's 51 now. Wow. And he, he spent 20 years in prison for a murder that he absolutely did not do. What made this story so interesting is that Ed would still be in prison today if it hadn't been for a podcaster up in rural Michigan finding out about his case. And that, to me, was just mind-blowing, that it was almost an accident. Well, it is an accident. That Ed Eights is free today. Right. The name of the podcast again? The name of the podcast is Truth and Justice. Right. And it's a guy named Bob Ruff. And Bob was, a few years ago, was a fireman in a little rural community in southwestern Michigan. And he got completely obsessed with cereal, like a lot of people did. Uh, started his own podcast as like a book club for cereal. Got a lot of listeners, more than 100,000 listeners. And then at a certain point decided... I want to do this full time, quit his job as a fireman and started looking for an actual case to do and put out feelers, asked people to send in cases. And a young woman said her uncle was down in Texas for something he didn't uh, uh, armed robbery that he did not commit. So 
Bob Ruff started looking into the case. And at a certain point, he kind of peeled off from it. The guy's name was Kenny Snow. And he started to think, well, I mean, Kenny had actually pled guilty to something. But Kenny had told him, I lied on a guy named Ed Eights. And that helped send him to prison for life for a murder. He said, I don't know if he committed it or not, but I lied on him. So Bob looks into that and it turns out that Kenny Snow was a jailhouse snitch who was brought in to testify against Ed Eights. And Ed had already gone through one trial, which had ended in a mistrial. The prosecutors brought him in for a second trial and that did the trick. Sent him away for 99 years. Wow. Wow. And was there any corroborating evidence at all to the snitch testimony? Oh, it was just ridiculous. The The corroborating evidence was so-called human feces on the bottom of a shoe, which was never proven to be human feces. And it was just a splotch on the bottom of a shoe that the, uh, the deputies said was feces. And the prosecution said in trial was feces, even though they never had any evidence that it really was human feces. And the defense attorneys didn't ob- object enough. So the jury basically thought that there was human feces on the bottom of Ed's shoe, which would have matched the human feces at the bottom uh, on the kitchen floor of the deceased's trailer, even though so no, we're matching human feces that may or might may not actually even be human feces. They never did a test. They never did the forensic testing to prove this was human feces either on the floor of this wow. this dead woman's trailer or on the bottom of a shoe. But the combination of the feces and the snitch sent this guy who was Ed, who was thirty years old had just married, had one kid, one baby, and another on the way to prison for 99 years. That's insane. And it never, and so at a certain point, I mean, this is the late 90s this happened. At a certain point, a few years ago, Bob gets this case, and he starts looking into it, and he starts coming down to Tyler, and not only does he come down, but he starts asking his listeners to help him out. And so his listeners are all over the country, but there's, he has a lot of listeners up in Northeast Texas. And they start doing things like he, uh, he has to find out the, who has the, a phone number, uh, a Kilgore phone number, and he can't find it online. So he gets somebody in Kilgore to go out to the library in Kilgore, the city library, and look up this phone number. He, he gets these people, these amateur serologists, who start, he has a Facebook page, uh, a fan page, and they, all these people go on there and they, they start giving their serology ideas on blood and feces, on, on how to find out whether this was really feces on the bottom of Ed's shoe. He starts getting all these, these people to basically chime in and help him do this investigation while he's also coming down to Smith County and he's uh, he brings a scanner down and scans every single page of the court documents. He does all this work on his own because he's convinced that Ed Eights is innocent. Wow, that Smith County DA mafia must have loved that. He was uh, Bob was not a not a popular guy in Smith County. Wow. Well, and, thank God for Bob Ruff. That's amazing. I mean, he and so he eventually uh, he's and he's going on the air every week on his podcast. And by now he's got like one hundred and fifty thousand listeners and they're and they're printing up T-shirts. Ed Eights is innocent. Free Ed Eights. Wow. wow. And he eventually interests the Innocence Project of Texas, 
who one of the reasons they get so interested is Bob and his have done listeners all the work. <laughs> have done all the work. Yeah. So they, uh, Allison Clayton and the Innocence Project, start working on this. They bring in a parole attorney, and the parole attorney goes before the parole board, and in amazing lightning fashion, they get Ed paroled. You know, I worked at the Innocence Project of Texas as their policy director for seven or eight years. And one of the things that a lot of people don't realize about that work is that the volume of investigation that's required to actually prove to the standard the Court of Criminal Appeals requires um, innocence is is staggering. And the Innocence Project of Texas is a small nonprofit, and they don't have the resources to do that sort of work, honestly, on more than a tiny, tiny handful of cases, if that. And the ones that really rise to the fore, and I say this just because there are people out there who are desperate and have cases and want to know, what do you do? You kind of got to do the bulk of it yourself. Someone has to just take ownership and say, okay, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a private investigator, but no one's going to do it unless I do it and just start. And eventually, if you find evidence that of innocence, then you'll start to find allies. But somebody has to just start. And just asking an attorney, oh, can you look into this, really is kind of wasting everyone's time. So doing it through a media project where you're crowdsourcing is kind of an amazing thing. At the same time, I have seen family members do exactly the same thing and show up with a massive file, you know, on their loved one's case. And let me tell you, it goes to the top of the pile um, when that when that happens. So, so this is unusual being a media outlet, but I think it's actually kind of typical about how a lot of these innocence cases happen. Some family member, a a wife, a parent, somebody, you know, just keeps digging, just won't let go. And as a journalist, I mean, I'm the same way. If, if a family member or a family or some kind of crew also believes in this guy's or this woman's innocence and has done a bunch of work that makes me a lot more interested in the case because it's not just one person i mean uh, as journalists we get letters every day from from inmates oh I, yeah I, and and i i i'm sure some of them are have great valid claims but some of them don't but how do you tell well one of the ways you tell is when you get a bunch of people saying oh yeah this is a great case right so I guess the other thing about this case, and, and, and I will caveat this by, by saying up front, Smith County is my home county. I grew up in Tyler. What in the hell is wrong with Smith County? Oh, my God. Why do we just keep doing this over and over and over? You start. Just, just, just talk about what a crap hole this play, this, the Smith County justice system is. And why we just have these innocence cases cropping up from the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. And it's the same crew of people over and over who are involved in these cases. Well, I think. Oh, my God. I think that. <laughs> I, think, I think that's a good place to start. It's the same crew. You, you go to a lot of counties and there was a change. Remember in, in Dallas County when all of a sudden. The DA was elected, and it was a black guy. Craig Watkins. Craig yeah. Watkins. And all of a sudden, Dallas County changed completely. That's right. You know, you He you, wasn't you, perfect, but being different severed the ties to the look, old school. In in San Antonio, in Houston, I mean, in, in Austin, 
in big cities, there are changes. In in Smith County, it's been basically the same crew that has been running Smith County for, for 30, 40 years. Yeah. Um, the same judges keep getting elected. It's been basically the same crew of district uh, people in the district attorney's office. And so you don't get a whole lot of change. And, yeah. I mean, when Craig Watkins came in, he had this idea. Yeah, I mean, and with that idea... We already knew there were some exonerations, but he went out and he found a bunch more. Smith County has only had one DNA exoneration in all this time, A.B. Mm-hmm. Butler. And they don't have that same kind of, since they're not bringing in new people all the time who have new ideas and who have an understanding that the system makes mistakes. They don't bring that in. So basically in Smith County, I think they still believe that the system works really, really well. Right. And so you don't have this kind of sense that, well, maybe we made some really bad mistakes here and we should do something about it. And I, th- I think, I mean, it's a law and order community going way back. But I mean, a lot of places are law and order community. Dallas was a law and order community right. going way back. But there was change in Dallas County. There hasn't been any any change in Smith County. There's no sense up there that there might be something wrong and that we should we should look at this and maybe do something about it. You know, there is a sense... And these are all, I mean, from everything I've heard about Jack Skeen, he is a great person. He is a decent Christian man. He's a good father. He's a good friend. I mean, I've talked to people up there who are defense attorneys who can't stand the stuff he's done, but they're all like, I love Jack Skeen. He's a good man. It's something about the system that they have built that is so impervious to reflection, uh, to any kind of second guessing that leads to these things they've been happening for years now and just again purely by chance has this one been been fixed purely by chance is that eight's home with his family right i mean that that to me is i guess to put a pin on it the most extraordinary thing about this case is that all of the things that caused ed eight's to be falsely convicted are common as dirt and all of the things that caused him to be liberated are the most extravagantly <laughs> unusual. If you wrote it in a novel, people wouldn't believe it. No, type. it's ridiculous. A um, podcaster from a small town in southwestern Michigan? Are you kidding me? That's right. Who goes pro and then gets some t- guy in Texas out of out of? Uh, it's unbelievable. So uh, literally, if it, like if you saw it in a movie, you'd say, "Yeah, not believable. I'm, yeah. I'm not going to buy it." So anyway, well, thank it you. Wasn't, and, and real quick, it wasn't just Bob. It was also Ed's Ed's wife. Uh, had a uh, Kim had a lot to do with with getting him out. It wasn't just just Bob Ruff, but uh, his, she stuck it, with him two decades. Stuck with him for two decades. He was the father of her two children. She brought him to prison. She even when Ed tried to push her away, saying "Get on with your life," she believed in his innocence so much that she stayed with him. And when Ed finally came home, it was one of the most joyous reunions I or the crowd of fifty people outside the walls unit had ever seen. That is an amazing love story. That's astonishing. All right. Well, thank you very much for sitting down and talking to me, Mike. I appreciate it a lot. Thank you, Scott. Now Scott continues his conversation with Texas Monthly's Michael Hall this time taking on the task of ranking the greatest American prison songs. Michael is a longtime musician in Austin, most notably playing guitar for the Wild Seeds, and has written on musical topics for Texas Monthly for many years. 
Here's what he and Scott had to say about how the greatest American prison songs stack up. I'm here with Mike Hall, executive editor at Texas Monthly, and we're here to talk about the greatest ever prison songs. Mike, thank you for joining me. Glad to be here, Scott. I love talking about prison songs. Excellent. Uh, Mike, just to establish your bona fides, is the uh, longtime guitarist for the Wild Seeds here in Austin, in addition to being one of the best reporters on criminal justice topics in the state, and so I think is uniquely qualified and I, by contrast, am probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I think being the observer that you are and the music fan you are, you have plenty of bona fides. Well, let's, let's, let's find out. We're here to talk about the greatest, let's say greatest American prison songs, because it did occur to me as soon as I started thinking of this, there's probably a lot of narco corridos that are badass that we just are not qualified to, to latch on to. Absolutely. And some of their prison songs are simply amazing. But American prison songs, I think most people think that country and Western music is just full of them. I was a little bit surprised when I began doing a little bit of research. That isn't entirely true. It's sort of a specialty of a few. Sure. Um, tell, tell me, what do you think are sort of the, before we start talking about the songs, what are the qualifications? What should the qualifications be for the greatest American prison songs? That's a tough one because one of the things that I love about some of these songs is a certain level of authenticity that the people who are singing it were actually in prison. Some of these songs, you can at least imagine that you can hear the 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 pain and the heartache in their in their voices, which which is great. But on the other hand, there are some great prison songs by people who did not do time in prison, but still evoke what the listener might think of as the feeling of being in prison. So to me, it's it's uh, and there's plenty of points in between, right. Right. And There's there that are a great lot of scene in that Johnny Cash biopic where his father says, well, everyone's going to think you've been to prison if you keep singing these songs. <laughs> exactly. But Johnny Cash went out of his way to sing to prisoners and had this kind That's of right. this connection he, with them. He and earned he, it in other ways. He'd been in jail. I don't think he'd ever been in prison. That's right. But so he's kind of in that that kind of area in between. Merle Haggard. Didn't right. he? Merle Haggard was in prison. He was actually in prison. Merle Haggard saw Johnny Cash perform in prison, and there's a great story he tells where or told where uh, he finally got to meet Johnny Cash as as a performer, and he said, "By the way, I, uh, I heard you when you played at you know, whatever the prison was," and Johnny said, "Well." Merle, I don't think you were there. That was so and so who who opened for me. Said no, I was in the audience. Wow, that was <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm, but Merle's Merle has a couple of prison songs that I don't know. You when you know that about him, that just makes it that makes them that more meaningful, I guess. Right. Well, I put together a long a long list. I was way too lazy to cut it all down like you did. But uh, but I but I put in a top thirty, and I think Merle had three of them. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. And I, I so I, I think you're right, authenticity. But at the same time, some of these were just so popular and made such an impact. Yeah. Just you know, well, you know. I think people people really respond to the whole idea of being in prison. And there's something about, I mean, look at the Shawshank Redemption, that movie, which is kind of a, a typical Hollywood movie. But every time it's on, I'll watch it. Right. You know, there's something about that 
there's something about prisoners and prison that everybody can identify with and relate to, whether it's a wrongful conviction or just somebody who made a mistake. And a good prison song tugs at those emotional heartstrings. Tell me about your greatest hits list. What who who should be on our top five? All right, let me let me start with number one because it, this this to me is is just one of my favorites. It's a it's a, a Texas song and it's it's a it's got plenty of authenticity and uh, it's ain't no more cane on the Brazos, which was a song that was first recorded back in I believe 1933 by John Lomax of some prisoners in a Texas prison. And it's just an amazing song that they used to sing when they were out doing the work in the fields in the uh, this prison just off the Brazos River. I don't know if he recorded it at the prison or after they had gotten out, but this is a song by prisoners about what they would do during the day while they're cutting down uh, sugarcane. Well, Lomax actually was recording... In prisons, I actually didn't know until you mentioned this that he'd recorded in Texas prisons. His most famous ones were in Louisiana. Yeah. And another person who I think is on both of our lists, uh, Lead Belly. Oh, absolutely. Um, well, his famous recording of Midnight Special with Lomax was actually done in Angola prison. But So uh, his first one was done actually in prison, his, in, the first time he did that song. Well, here's the story, if you, if you haven't heard it, about Lead Belly in, uh, and Midnight Special, because it's amazing. Lead Belly wrote, uh, says that he wrote this song um, when he was in prison in Texas nearly 20 years earlier. At Sugarland. That's it? right, at Sugarland. And uh, Governor Pat Neff was coming to the Central Unit in Sugarland. And Lead Belly played his version of Midnight Special for him, including that wonderful last verse, if you're ever in Houston, you better walk right, and naming the sheriff. and Better not fight. That's right. That's right. Naming the sheriff and, and calling him out. And, and Neff ended up pardoning Lead Belly over this. Well, Lead Belly ended up committing another murder and going to prison in Louisiana. And that's where Lomax found him. <laughs> and recorded him in, yeah. in the 1930s. Yeah. And uh and then when Lead Belly got out, um he went on to record like 50 other um blues songs and some of those are uh some of the only examples we have of 19th century work of some particular 19th century work songs came from Lead Belly in particular, but Lomax many many more of them that was like a really, and then we were also talking earlier about Pete Seeger yeah. doing the same thing in the fifties and going in. I know he went into Texas prisons and there's some amazing Texas yeah. prison work songs that didn't make my list, but, but yeah. probably should. They're, they're, they're unbelievable. Yeah. These guys, he's, he's recording them chopping down trees with axes and you can hear the thump mm -hmm. of the tree yeah. in between the chants. It's unbelievable. Yeah. But uh, tell, I'm, I'm getting off track here. So we got Midnight no, Special. I, yeah, Midnight Special is definitely on my list. Um, I love I Shall Be Released, the Bob Dylan song. I just, just don't want to hear him sing it. I, you know, I, I like his version of it, but the version that I love the most is Nina Simone's. She, uh, she actually changes the chord structure a little bit, and it uh, makes it even more kind of, right. there's even more longing in the song. And then the way, of course, she sings it. Right. It, it's uh, amazing. Is, I was just phenomenal. It's, yeah. I mean, I love hearing Dylan sing, but Nina Simone kind of takes it to a different level. Right. 
Right. Well, and, and Dylan's voice is, it's, he almost, the way he sings is almost designed to strip away. Okay. Just listen to what I'm saying. You know, don't, don't focus on the musicality. It's there, but, but focus on the message here. Yeah. And she's so musical and the musicality just oozes from everything she does. But all of the meaning really is deepened in her version. So I think you're dead on about the right version of that song. A kind of obvious one, but that doesn't make it any less uh, perfect, is Folsom Prison Blues by Johnny Cash, which I just, I I love it. I love the the whole structure of the song, the guitar riff. It's got, you know, one of Johnny Cash's favorite couplets, I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. And the fact that he played it at the, at the it got big at that live recording. That's uh, right. It's just, I just love that. Well, and my podcast partner told me that if we didn't put that on the final list, that that our list was worthless. <laughs> so I suppose that's required. Although I, I can make the argument, and I said this to you earlier, I can make the argument that that was the second best prison song on that album. Because if we, if you had an audience meter in that prison yard where he played, or whatever the auditorium was, uh, the, the cafeteria or wherever it was, he was he was set up and judged how much the audience how well the audience reacted the one that they reacted the biggest to by far was cocaine blues it was early one morning i was making the rounds took a shot of cocaine and shot my woman down and it goes all the way to his death sentence and and of course he's in Folsom prison while he waits to die also in that one there's a Folsom reference playing in front of them but obviously in terms of broader popular you know, love of the song and sort of in the pantheon of truly great prison songs. I yeah. think you're right. Folsom Prison Blues eclipses it, but but My it band. is funny to listen to it and it, it, in on that album. Yeah. The prisoners probably wouldn't have picked it. They probably yeah. would have picked the <laughs> we, we used to my band the Wild Seeds used to play that song whenever we had to do three set nights. We would always pull out covers and that was always one of them because it was so much fun to play. Outstanding. Yes, yes. Yes, I can hear him start it up just as you do that. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> and then my 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 fifth one is is kind of a guilty pleasure and it's you know we were talking about the authenticity. This is probably not the most authentic prison song, but Jailhouse Rock by Elvis is such a great song. I mean, and it's a it's a great song for all kinds of reasons. I mean, the the whole way that song is structured with the with the intro, which was just so cool. Da dum da dum And then just the, the, the guitar solo, the guitar sound, the way Elvis sings it. It's just this perfect little pop song that was written by two guys who probably never even went into a jail cell in their lives. Right. They, they were, they were writing like for a musical. They were writing it for Elvis's uh his his, his yeah, movie. movie. Right. And then it comes out in that movie with all that choreography, and it's just, even though it's like so Hollywood phony, it's so cool. I love that song. The, the choreography was amazing in that scene. I'll tell you, I wouldn't even think it should be considered for the top five if it weren't for that movie scene. <laughs> the choreography in that scene was so amazing. And then the other thing that, that happens in that song and in that scene is, of course, it's this great dance scene and this great dance number. And about halfway through the song, you realize, wait, it's all men. It's all men. There's one, and there's one line in the song that actually makes that explicit. 
And um, you're the cutest jailbird I ever did see. <laughs> That's right. All right. <laughs> All right. And and so you know that as far as like super popular American songs. That's a pretty early early reference there. So I I, I definitely think yeah. the movie and that chore- and the choreography in that scene made it, you know, one that definitely deserves you know, consideration. The truth is, you can't just do prison songs that are downers. Prison is a terrible downer. That's I've right. never been in prison, but I can't imagine a worse downer. And yet, you got to have some songs that are you know uppers. That's right. That's right. Well, you know, I said on my list of 30 because I was way too lazy to narrow it down to five. So I started looking at it. But uh, one of them I had on there was Merle Haggard's I Made the Prison Band. So, you know, there, there's things that happen that are not all downers. Yeah. But I don't think that that actually would make it into the five. It's a, he Like I say, he has two others at least that would probably be ahead. Well, yeah, Sing Me Back Home is a real downer. I mean, a, a lot of these downer. songs, the guy is about to die. That's right. Well, Mama Tried is is probably the, the greatest of those three. Yeah. And it's, I guess, a downer, too. It's a, it's certainly got a, a, a jamming beat to it. But yeah. I, I turned 21 in prison doing life without parole. That, oh, yikes. Yeah. Um, that's a downer. Uh, that, that, that's a downer. So I'll, I'll grant you, we need to find some, some upbeat ones. Although that's a hard <laughs> one, man. That's, that's a tough, a tough call. Now, uh, you and I both are more likely to, to look at sort of the folk and blues. There are absolutely some hip hop tunes that are friggin' badass and probably deserve serious consideration. I think the one that, that for me is, is the most impactful was, uh, Public Enemies Black Steel and the Hour of Chaos. It opens with this absolutely amazing scene of this guy sitting in prison and getting his draft notice. <laughs> and he says, I learned something today when I got this notice from the government. They're a bunch of suckers. That's not a, <laughs> that's a paraphrase, but, but that's essentially the sentiment. And, and he goes, and the whole thing is a, a meditation with him sitting staring at this draft notice. That's great. Um, and, and thinking about, you know, the role of the black man in America. And wow, it's just a heavy hitting, very impactful piece. Similarly, although, you know, incredibly dark again. But a ludicrous is do your time, you know, don't let your time do you, man. But great line, great line. And, you know, became sort of really part of the popular culture of that line. One of them that, again, probably isn't going to get up to the top five. But Ice T's The Tower is a is quite a song from now. Jesus, 40 years ago. Yeah. Where he he's walking into the prison yard for the first time and trying to figure out who has the power in the prison yard. Is it the white gangs, the black gang, or is it the guards in the tower? But uh, let's see, a few others that I had on here that, that probably are worth considering as we, as we rank. Hurricane by Bob Dylan, you had mentioned, you've wondered actually if Hurricane was actually innocent. To me, that was, that was the, the, the greatest song ever written about an innocence case, and now you've totally like dashed my. Well, <laughs> see, I remember hearing that on the radio when I was a teenager, and for one thing, it was a long song. Yeah. So the fact that it was a long song, that it was a hit, but also it was a prisoner song, and it's a great song. It I mean, really is. The melody of it, the 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 way Dylan and his co-writer on that one, you know, put together this story, this long story with a great chorus, with the the fiddle breaks on it. It's so cool. It's got all these memorable lines. But yes, a few years ago, I actually went down this rabbit hole of on the internet from some people who said this was Dylan's worst song because, in fact, Hurricane Carter was guilty, guilty, guilty. I have no idea 
if he was or not. But I just remember thinking, okay, this is not one of those open shut cases. Right, right. Well, and I have not gone down that rabbit hole. It, it will greatly disappoint me if that turns out to be the case. But hey, but that was a long, long time ago now, and it's still a great song. Let's see a few others I had on my list. Uh, one that you hadn't heard before, but was The Warden by the Old Crow Medicine Show. That's Again, a cool it's a cool song. It doesn't have the, the sort of great historical impact that we're looking for, I think, in a in the great American prison song. But but boy, is that a good song. One you and I both remembered from the 70s was Tie a Yellow Ribbon Around the Old Oak Tree. <laughs> and it's funny to think about that song now, that this song about a prisoner coming home. You know, I'm coming home. I've done my time. Now I've got to know what is and isn't mine. And, and it's a song that the songwriter wrote based on a, a real, a true story. Right. kind of gives it a little bit of oomph. Gives it an authenticity push. It does. It's a corny the, song. The Tony Orlando it, and Dawn singing it gives it an authenticity decrease. <laughs> but, but it all evens out. <laughs> that's right. Let's see. I would say Jimmy Rogers in the jailhouse now in the oh, country yeah. music world yeah. sure would be right up there. Sure. Also, one that won't make the top five, but that was a fine song by an ex-prisoner who was kind of a badass is david allen coe's prisoner song yeah and he was quite a piece of work yep himself yeah i think those are the ones i had that probably re really justify the list oh uh, let's see i fought the law oh. was the other one that i thought man that's borderline but wow what a great song it's, it's another great pop song sonny curtis wrote it just i read where he described writing it it was one of those songs that just popped out and those are the best songs. He wrote it in five minutes, just staring out of the West Texas landscape one day, breaking rocks in the hot sun. It came to him. I fought the law, and the law won. I don't think Sonny Curtis ever did a day of time, but boy, that song's great. And in particular, as it's been covered by so many people over the years. Right. Well, it was recorded by the Crickets, which gives it a great Texas connection. Yeah. And then the version by The Clash, to me, took it from a really good song to a completely iconic song. Yeah, that made the clash. I mean, that was their first huge hit. Is that right? Yeah. Well, man, it 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 absolutely just turned that into yeah. something that you was almost a national sentiment. Yeah. <laughs> In many ways. So, all right. Well, with that presentation of our our possibilities there, what do we think are in the top five? It seems like we've automatically got Midnight Special, Folsom Prison Blues are in both our our top lists. Absolutely. What 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 else do we think among these we've talked about? Yours? I mean, if, for me, I would definitely put Ain't No More Cane on there, just because it is like one of the earliest. And I mean, you can't listen to that original version without feeling it i mean it's just an amazing song it is an amazing and it's a, it's a, it's very texas that, that well if anyone detects a texan bias on this podcast you, you're <laughs> tuning in for the first time clearly <laughs> let's see i mean i had i shall be released which is you know i really like that song but what pushes it over the edge is nina simone's version of it um I, I can see that. I think of the ones that I had been uh, raising. I would actually, I really do think that uh, Black Steel in the Hour of Chaos probably deserves to be on there, if only so we can have a little diversity Absolutely. in the music genre. And let's see, if, we're, if I were rounding out a top five, 
Man, your last one was Jailhouse Rock. Wow, that's both tough to argue and tough to agree with. Well, you know, you might want to put a pop song on there and, and you know, just kind of the opposite of the, on the authenticity meter, but a song that would really draw people in. And if it wasn't that, maybe it is Chain Gang by Sam Cooke. Or, that's I right. Know, I mean, maybe it's I Fought the Law, which, I, is, which was originally written as a pop song. Exactly, exactly. Or um, actually, the, there's not back on the chain gang by the pretenders went to a big thing on, on the that's true on the pop charts. Um, I don't think it would get into the greatest prison song no. list, but it's funny that a few, yeah, you know, do. I think you could, I mean, on any of those, you if if you if you wanted to do sometimes you have to figure out not just diversity, I mean, there are all kinds of diversity issues. And that's a pop diversity issue. So I think any one of those songs yeah, is a and, great and, song. And of those, Elvis is just too iconic to ignore. I think you're you're probably right. The Jailhouse Rock has to be the final. And and now with that pronouncement, I think you know the world can rest easy knowing that you know this ranking has been established. Top five. <laughs> the top five have been established. And actually, I will go through and uh, make a YouTube playlist of all of the songs that we named here on the the podcast today for anyone who's interested. And we'll publish that when we publish the podcast. So, Mike, thanks a lot for talking with me. Thanks, Scott. This has been great. It has. Incarceration train keeps rolling, rolling down the line. It's filled with pain and sorrow, but the driver is doing just fine. Just fine. And the passengers in cargo, when they get to the end of the line, gonna learn this train went nowhere, Lord, and the ticket price show is high. Stop the train. 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 I'm getting off. The train pulls into the station when the driver blows his horn. My baby will be there waiting, Lord, just as sure as the day you were born. And the doors of the train will open and the platform people will flood. A voice rang from heaven saying your debt was paid with blood. Stop the train, 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 stop the train. I'm getting on. Stop the train, 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 I'm getting on. Now it's time for our rapid fire segment we call The Last Hurrah. Mandy, are you ready? I'm ready to go. First up. Earlier this year, the chief of intelligence at the Texas Department of Public Safety briefed President Donald Trump about alleged rapists among Mexican migrants at the border. Now the same man has been arrested and charged for allegedly raping a woman in Austin. Scott, what are the implications here? Well, if it's true, obviously, it's this unbelievable irony and just almost an absurd level of irony if these allegations are accurate. But beyond that, this man was in charge of all of the state's fusion centers that gathered intelligence on every Texan, that gathered video from thousands and thousands of surveillance cameras, that 
that had access to intimate location information <laughs> details. The idea that if this type of person was in charge of all those resources, it wasn't being abused is really would be pretty naive. So, so this is a scandal because of the profound hypocrisy on the one hand, but the rabbit hole may go a lot deeper than that. Let's hope not. After an abysmal 86 Texas legislative session in which scarce little reform legislation passed on criminal justice beyond abolition of the driver responsibility surcharge, 10 legislators have created a bipartisan criminal justice reform caucus to try to do better next time. Mandy, is this significant? Yes. Uh, what we saw this past session, especially in the House where this caucus is really focused, was a lot of misinformation about criminal justice reforms and, and people not understanding the implications of what they were voting for. So if you create a caucus that establishes it themselves as being sort of the go-to people on these issues within both parties, I think that would go a long way to passing bills on the floor. Finally, Harris County has settled the lawsuit over its misdemeanor bail practices, establishing rules that mean 85% of misdemeanor defendants will go free without being required to post bond. Scott, is this the end of the story or just the next phase? Well, it's the end of a very long chapter for sure for Harris County. Although this only affects misdemeanor cases, there's still an outstanding case in um, Harris County on mm -hmm. felony cases, felony bail. And other counties in Dallas and Galveston and elsewhere are also being sued. Eventually, where this is all going to end up is in the federal courts. And one of these cases is eventually going to be the source of a decision from either the Fifth Circuit or the Supreme Court. And that'll establish rules for the entire state. So for Harris County, it's the end of an incredibly expensive chapter. Millions of dollars were spent on, on this mm. lawsuit. For the rest of the state, there's still a long way to go. All right, we're out of time, but we'll try and do better the next time. Until then, I'm Scott Henson with Just Liberty. And I'm Amanda Marzullo with the Texas Defender Service. Goodbye, and thanks for listening. You can subscribe to the Reasonably Suspicious Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud, or listen to it on my blog, Grits for Breakfast. We'll be back next month with more and hopefully better news. And until then, keep fighting for criminal justice reform. It's the only way it's going to happen. And that's why my traffic tickets I didn't pay I give them away I put them out of my mind Till I saw the red and blue in my mirror behind me I told him, sir, I'm ahead to work While he twisted my arm till I saw get hurt He said, not today, cause you didn't pay Gonna handcuff you and take you away tickets, baby, and now I got those debtors' prison blues. Dutch wants the money, but it's already spent. If I had that much money, man, I'd pay them damn rent.
lost my job, couldn't make it to work. I left my little girl at school sitting on the curb. The wind is late, the bills are due. I don't know what I'm gonna do. I got those from dead as prison blue. He got the choices, whatever. 